I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Michael Schnabel, author of Daddy's Girl, A Father, His Daughter, and the Deadly Battle She Won. In each person's life, there are events that forever change their course. 27-year-old Stephanie experienced two of these events in 14 days, the birth of her only child and discovery that she has an 8% chance of living. She's haunted by the thought that this baby will only know her through pictures until she makes that thought her motivation to survive. Michael Schnabel, Stephanie's father, tells the story of survival and how three generations of a family respond to crisis. Stephanie's courage is fueled by her son's deep brown eyes and unconditional love. Her faith comes from the belief that something greater than us provides what we need when we need it. A graduate of Northern State University, uh, Michael uh, developed his passion for writing and storytelling during his 30-year career at Bristol Myers Squibb. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today, Michael. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Well, the uh, we we know that your daughter, that Stephanie, won the deadly battle with cancer. And if I may say, maybe I'm sort of taking it to the end of the book, but. Uh, it's been 16 years since her diagnosis, which is, uh, you know, which is phenomenal, which is great. And a lot has happened during those 16 years. So let's start from the beginning. And, you know, you decided to write this book. People may say, oh, my God, this is obviously one of the saddest things. You had the saddest thing and the happiest thing happened to you all at the same time. Yes, I agree. It was something, uh, you know, when we gave, she gave birth to our first grandchild, uh, we were so elated, and then two weeks later, the the floor dropped out from underneath us, and we found out this uh, she had stage four colon cancer, and with an eight percent chance of living. Uh, you know, I started to. Uh, we, there was a lot of reaction in the beginning, but slowly we found our way. And uh, three and a half years later, our Mayo oncologist said, um, uh, "You're cured." And uh, we couldn't believe it because our first meeting with him said he would. He told us he'd never tell us that we were cured. So that was just an amazing thing. And then he said something else that uh, that really kind of stuck with us. I had chosen to go ahead and to document my daughter's uh, uh, crisis as well as her fight in case that she didn't make it so that her my grandson would know how strong she was and how hard she worked and how how much she cared and loved him because that was her biggest fear. It was she was certainly afraid of dying, but she was certainly uh really more afraid that she was going to not have this uh, be around for her child and he would never know her. So when we shared that with the oncologist, he mentioned the fact that uh we should share it with the world. He said the biggest challenge that he has as an oncologist is to go ahead and provide hope for his patients. And he said a story like this does that. So it's not a gloomy read. It certainly touches on all the emotions, but it's more filled with love, hope, and humor. Yeah. It's not a gloomy read, and I think one of the things that uh, that stood out for me, uh, it, it, I think you said in the beginning, I mean, when you got the diagnosis and you described yourself as a team, which I like, the family was a team, you and your wife yeah. and your daughter and son, and uh, that you know, anger, frusta- frustration, disbelief, all of those feelings emerged. But you said, and I want you to talk about this, the thing that kind of helped you to be able to go forward was developing a plan get the you know get this kind of news and it's horrific and and yeah. then once you start okay i can't change that 
now what? And developing a plan. And and once you started doing that, it, it, it helped. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that happened along the way, and I want to talk about it. But talk about that developing a plan. How did that help you? Sure. Um, well, the first night, uh, we received the news. Uh, she was scheduled for surgery the next day. We were going to um, meet with a surgeon, and all of a sudden, Every decision that we were making, we felt, would be uh, possibly life or death decisions, and we were just completely overwhelmed. Uh, the surgeon was really helpful for putting together a plan. He spent two and a half hours, very patient man, uh, with us and in such, and he started to boost our hope a little bit. When he left, it was about uh, three hours after we had gotten the diagnosis, and I looked around the room, and I saw my family was uh, clearly... Uh, completely stressed out. We were lost. We didn't know what to say. We didn't know what to do. We were just um, completely overwhelmed. My business has always taught me that uh, you can't spend time reacting to situations. You need to go ahead and put together a plan. So the first thing that I did is, is just to start talking to my family about the fact that this is happening to all of us. You know, each one of us is feeling terrible, but Stephanie is, my daughter Stephanie is at the epicenter of this. This is her life and such. And as I talked about that, I realized how much fear she must have. And um, we've all been faced by a bully or afraid of a situation that we faced. And uh, it makes an incredible difference if someone all of a sudden comes beside, stands beside you and says, hey, I'm in this with you. I'm going to help you with this. We're, we're in this together. We're going to fight it together. And that's exactly what we did. We formed a team. I call it our team of five. And it was my daughter, her husband, Mark. It was my wife, Colleen, myself, and this newborn child, uh, Caden. And you wouldn't think the baby would be much of a team member, but there were so many days as we moved on that that child was an oasis for us to, to escape to. You know, we could play with, the, play with the child, we could bathe the child, he would give us smiles, things like that, and it really gave us an opportunity to go ahead and uh, have a, a very, very strong team. And each one of us took a leadership role in that. Now, getting back to your question about what is the importance of planning and how we develop that, I'll be honest with you, I had uh, over 30 years of experience within a pharmaceutical corporation, worked with physicians and hospitals all the time. My uh, wife had, had, still is an RN and had been for over 30 years, and we really didn't feel like we knew what to do. We were, you know, we were, we're a normal family, and all of a sudden you've got this crisis, and you're looking at the possibility of a death of your of a loved one. And so, I knew from my experience in business that if you quit reacting to something and start moving forward to it to go ahead and overcome it, it's a it's a better situation, and you start using your resources. So that's what we started doing. We took a look at the immediate things with the uh, on the surgeon that we met with. Um, we uh, talked with him uh, for a very long time. He was incredibly patient, and uh, he helped us a lot to go ahead and take that first step forward. And then after that, we just started realizing the other things that we needed to do. We needed to go ahead, and um, because her, her, her stage 4 colon cancer is not something you see a lot in 27-year-olds. Unfortunately, it is becoming more common now, but at the time, uh, her GI doctor really didn't even consider that as a possibility. And so as we were looking at moving forward, we really wanted to go ahead and uh, go to a place that was a research center to make sure that we were on the cutting edge. They may have additional studies that we could get involved in, things like that. So that's kind of where we started. 
we ended up finding out, uh, finding a dream team um, uh, between the University of Kansas Medical Center, uh, Cancer Center here in Kansas City, as well as the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And um, that's where we had all of our oncology, our surgery, and then those types of things. So as we took our experiences, each one of us would take different leadership roles on taking care of things, setting up appointments, finding out who the oncologist was. I was able to go ahead and work with my oncology division and my pharmaceutical company to go ahead and help find out which research centers were the top, which uh, physicians we should be trying to connect with and things like that. And slowly but surely, the activity that we were doing gave us hope to go ahead and move forward. And, and, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say Stephanie. It, that first night with Stephanie, she was beside herself. She didn't know what to do. She was so afraid that this child would never know her. And so as a father, the first thing I wanted to do is make sure that he did know her in case she didn't survive. And that's what started the journaling that I did. And it was really a godsend because it not only captured the things that we were doing and the things that we needed to do, and next steps, action steps, things like that, but it also started capturing our emotions on a daily basis and the things that we were going through and, and how we dealt with them. And um, You know, one of the for, things, and I just want to stop you for a minute. I'm sorry. In, no, it, Steph, uh, your daughter, Stephanie, when she was pregnant, was in a lot of pain and had a lot of issues with her pregnancy. And one of the, uh, and she really wasn't surprised at the diagnosis. Maybe she, she felt all along that she had cancer, that that was something wild, but she wanted to bring the baby to, you know, as I don't know what was necessarily full term, but just do the best she could for her unborn child, even though she felt like she was really sick. Um, Correct. Yeah. So when she, during her second trimester, she really started seeing uh, symptoms of pain as well as some uh, rectal bleeding. And uh, we were all concerned with that. That's when we brought the GI doctor in. But there, she, he couldn't really do a lot of the invasive tests, uh, do a colonoscopy, things like that, to go ahead and check it out because they were afraid they were going to uh, put Stephanie into labor. And they were very concerned about that. And she said she didn't want to do anything that would go ahead and uh, possibly uh, hurt the baby in any way. They did take the baby early. We took uh, the baby a, a month uh, premature. Um, he was healthy, and everything turned out well with that. But she was in a lot of pain. She had seven hospital admissions before um, they took the baby. You know, one of the things and what we've been talking about, some of uh, I, I really wanted to People want to hear some of the really tough stuff that happened to, and this is tough, I'm not saying that, but I mean, like some of the things that didn't work out. I mean, I think one of the, in, in, the, in, in the book, one of the incidents that you described, and you didn't describe it in detail in terms of the specifics, but it was like, oh, everyone just kind of just, you got in a big fight, you, you know, everybody's emotions were just on edge, because that's what does happen, and that happens more frequently in some families than in others. Uh, you know, how do you resolve that? Because that's like all those emotions just ready to boil over and then you just go at it, which you did. <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of crazy because we really are a close family and we worked very, very well together and uh, we were going along smoothly. And then one evening uh, somebody said something and someone else reacted to it and all of a sudden we were all involved in it. And it was like... Um, 
uh, I guess we were emptying our buckets, some of the things that we had walked around with that were frustrating us, that were whatever. And we were on edge. We were working very long days and such, so our emotions were raw. But you're right. It was very difficult, and it went on for like an hour, and everybody was involved. And we said things that were mean. We said things that were angry. And at the end, we just sat there in silence. And we talked about the fact that some of those things needed to be said, but some of them were said out of emotion and that we really couldn't hang on to these things. We can't let this hurt us as a team because we have a goal of saving our daughter's life, and that is the thing that's most important. And it's interesting because after that happened, it did give us a chance to empty our buckets, and it did put some things out on the table so we weren't carrying those things around. And it really made us a stronger team. Uh, it's not something that any of us enjoyed, but we said our apologies and we gave forgiveness to each other. And it just, uh, from that point on, we moved on and we never had another issue like that. Yeah. You talk about living with uh, a lack of privacy. Uh, that stood out to me because, yeah, you have this team and your daughter and, and son-in-law living with you, but then they sometimes go back to their own house so that they have some private time. But, you know, it, it's, it, you need the team, but at the same time, it's, you need to, have your privacy and and how did that that seemed to me like you worked it out quite well how did you do that um, well yeah. we were really we really had this focus of the um, of Stephanie first of all and the baby second of all and that helped us a lot but there were times that um, you know as a father I, I knew that it was necessary for my daughter and her husband and her child to have their own private time and so um, they would go home occasionally on weekends. Uh, they would go ahead and uh, hole up in their bedroom for uh, an evening and, and do their own things. My wife and I may go shopping or things like that. So we did try to go ahead and to have a little bit of separate time. And when you're a caregiver, you just want to give and give and give. And at some point, your well runs dry, and so you need to move away from that and recharge. But we had... Um, we're fortunate enough to where we are in the country and we have a little bit of land and a lot of times we would take a walk uh, in, the, in the trees and, and um, just kind of get away. We also find a lot of hope through our faith, um, I, and that's one thing that really surprised me. We've always been a faithful family, but I was just amazed how much faith, how strong our faith was. I would have never thought it. But throughout this story, things happened, and the, at the darkest times, it seemed like we got the best possible answers, and we just really believed that God was watching over us. So faith and, and uh, good health care, and you mentioned uh, the team you had at University of Kansas, Mayo Clinic. I think you described that in the book as a, a they were able to provide health care or be able to take care of Stephanie, and everything was seamless. Uh, that, that stood out to me, too, because a lot of people don't have that ex- seamless experience when they're dealing with a catastrophic illness. Or, um, how did you handle the physical and the emotional um, roller coaster? Because it's not, I mean, Steph, if she gets sick, she gets well, she goes into, you know, she's feeling better and then she gets blood clots and, you know, all of these health things that happen, all the stuff that happens along the way. Plus, I think you, she also mentioned hormonal changes. So you've got the, it's always a constant roller coaster of, of emotions and, uh, and, and physical, uh, happenings, you know, so, because I know that does, yeah. 
How do you handle that? How did you handle that? Well, we handled it in different ways. Um, some of us took antidepressants. Some of us uh, uh, took other medications to help us in, in the difficult times. But I would tell you that it's more, I think our faith and our love for each other carried us through probably more than anything. There were times that, um, you know, we had to be alone. There were times that we uh, went outside and just screamed. You know, there were times that we were um, uh, would lose control of our emotions, but they were very short-lived. And it seemed like with a team of five people, uh, one of us would be able to go ahead and step up and help. One of us, if the others had to go ahead and take a break, and that baby was so much uh, so important to us, we could escape the whole issue of the uh, lack of sleep. I'd get home from uh, work, and uh, and my son-in-law would work. Sometimes if he was on deadline as an architect, he'd work 24-hour days. And we'd come home, we'd take care of this child, and it was a gift. It was a, it was a wonderful way to escape, and this child wasn't you know touched by any of this. And so that helped us so much. But we just helped each other through it. And, uh, again, it's like standing up against that bully. Sometimes you're ready to fail, you're ready to fall, and someone else picks up and, and puts their arms around you and tells you it's going to be okay. And, and um, I think it really gets down to be something as simple as that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the baby. I mean, babies are consistent. They're going to do what they do no matter what happens to you or anyone else, right? They just That's right. Yeah. You know, there's and and that is that uh, a very calming effect. Uh what would you say to people? Uh, I mean, and and you keep mentioning this and I obviously the close you have a close-knit family, you have the team of 5. Uh when one person's okay, the other person isn't, you can always somebody's there to to hold your hand. But what can you say to what, let's say many people don't have that. Is, do you have any advice for them? Because uh, they may have faith, which is faith in God and faith in their the medical team, but maybe they, own, they don't have the, the, the family team, say, that, that you had or have. Yeah. Well, I, I can't talk to every situation, obviously, but what I can say is that I was amazed how many people helped us, even though that we had our team. We had friends, we had family that reached out. A number of times we had different family members that came and stayed with us for a week or two weeks to go ahead and help us and to take over. I mean, life goes on. You still got bills and laundry and meals to make. And my wife just did an incredible job managing the, the house and such. But for those people that don't have that, I think you start with your caregivers. I think you start with the, um, your uh, medical people that are helping you. And then there are groups that are out there to help. Um, we've learned uh, after the fact that there's a lot of groups out there online that are helpful to people that are struggling. And um, we read those uh, frequently and, and we see each day someone asking for help and, and um other people come to their side, and it's through the Internet, and that isn't like someone putting their arms around you and telling you it's going to be okay. But I think you have to take a look at the friends and family that you've got around you and reach out and ask for their help. Uh, there were so many times that we asked for, um, we had different physicians. We had, we had a close friend that was um, a psychiatrist that would come to the house and, and help us and talk with us and things like that. And that was unique to us, and I think each person has to look at what's unique for them. Who in their past, who, who in their current life has, has been on their side and helped them? And there are different organizations out there that are helping, and, and sometimes the institutions help. 
Yeah. I'm hoping that this book will really leave a path that uh, in the beginning we didn't know where to go, but we kind of left a path that other people can kind of follow, and I'm hoping that that's helpful for them too. But the individual team, I think that you, um, you know, Stephanie that first night was beside herself, and I talked to her. I said, you can get mad. You can get angry. You can throw things. You can do whatever you, are, you want because this isn't fair and this is happening to you and whatever. But I said, tomorrow we're going to start fighting this, and you need to do your part. And I think that's incredibly important to remember. The patient has to really own their disease. And that means that they're going to go ahead and do the hard stuff if they need to do the chemo and if they need to do surgery and things like that. And Steffi was just such a trooper, and she did it looking at that child all the time. But as we went along the way, we found a lot of people, the nurses that helped us, the doctors that helped us. And so I think you just take a look at the resources that you've got and um, hopefully... Um, you know, and, and rely on your faith, and hopefully God will provide. There were two different times that we had um, rushed Stephanie to the um, emergency room, once with a blood clot and once with sepsis. Each time, and these happened within two weeks of each other, each time the uh, physician said that if we would have uh, arrived three or four hours later, we would have lost her. And so, you know, things like that kind of shake your faith until we looked at it from a different perspective. And we said, you know what? God got us to those emergency rooms so we could save her. So I think just look for the resources that you've got. And um, I hope that this boosts uh, people's hope and their faith and that they enjoy the book. Yeah, I think one of the things, I mean, you're saying this, I don't want to repeat it, but you just need to, whatever resources are out there, be willing to accept them. I think sometimes people have difficulty doing that. Uh, yeah. And even recognizing that the resources are out there, even as you say, even if they themselves don't have a lot of uh, a close knit family, for instance, but uh, there's there are a lot of people out there willing to help you. Um, and and you know, people rally around somebody that is fighting. Uh, and that's one thing that we saw. Our daughter made it so easy for us because she didn't complain. She didn't uh, uh, say, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. She's, she's the bravest person I've ever known. And we ran across other stories where the patients weren't willing to do those things, and uh, even though they had a team around them, uh, and, and their outcome wasn't as good. Well, you have to do the work. I mean, everybody has to do the work. And as you say, uh, Stephanie did the work. And and uh, yeah. I, I don't know if this was your quote or someone else's quote that you had in the book, but uh, uh, and I, th- this really stood out. Obstacles don't define us, but the way we deal with them might define us or does define us. And that's really the key because we all have obstacles. I mean, they maybe, and uh, it's how we respond to them. And um, I think that's what your book is all about, which is great. And I, I do think it is a great example. And uh, we're glad, uh, we only have a couple minutes left, but I just want to, you know, your grandson now is what, 16 years old? What does yeah, he have to say? We'll leave it with now, this yeah. one because he was the one that got everybody through it. So uh, <laughs> what does he have to say about the book? Well, he reminds his mother anytime he's in trouble that he saved her life. <laughs> okay, and, uh, I get that. So uh, that's one thing, but uh, he's doing great. He's a great kid, um, plays uh, soccer at a national level, and um, he's doing very well. Um, he It's funny because um, he was hesitant to read the book for a long time, and recently uh, his mom read it to him, which was a very bond and bonding experience. And he... Um, 
really enjoyed some of the life lessons that were in there and understood the story and such and was just appreciative of everything we did. This is a story about a family coming together, and it's probably the best thing that we've ever done in our life. And I think that's one thing I'd like the readers to take away from this. If we do our best, if we try our hardest at things, it's amazing what we can get accomplished. And if you've got somebody in need, I can't believe all the people that reached out to us, and that's what we try to do for others. Um, as as we come across it. My daughter has been involved with the American Cancer Society doing some, and and the local university doing some commercials, and she's done some talks, and we really try to help others by boosting their hope and and their faith. Well, you've done that with, with, with your book, Daddy's Girl, a Father, His Daughter, and the Deadly Battle She Won. Great book. Uh, Michael, tell us where we can go to get uh, a website or websites to go to. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, Daddy's Girl is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. for pre-order. The publica- publication date excuse me, is March 23rd, so that's coming up. Uh, and you can pre-order it now or really at any bookstore. Uh, it'll, uh, you can find out more about me at, at authormichaelschnabel.com. And it's author and then Michael and then S-C-H-N-A-B-E-L.com. And I love from hearing uh, from my readers, so please reach out and say hello. But you'll find out more about me, about Stephanie, about the book, and um, some of the other things that we've done. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show and sharing the story and obviously sharing your story in Daddy's Thank Girl. You, Catherine, Thank for you, for the opportunity. It was really great to talk with you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 